0: and welcome to episode 3 part A of the series Understanding the Ages. Let's also welcome God. Father thank you that you are with us today and in our study today we ask that we would uh, be able to understand more deeply the work that you have been doing in each of the ages and may we understand what that means for us personally in the way that you have committed yourself to bringing us into salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord so that we can share all eternity with you, our loving Father. Help our understanding to uh, be sharper about these matters, but help it also to be more personal of how great is our salvation found in Jesus Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, in our last session, we saw that the first age really started with Adam and how everything that was made was good. And then there was a problem of the fall, and sin was introduced into God's creation. As we continued through this um, whole series, um, in the first session, I was really just giving the skeleton, and I recognized there probably needs to be a little bit more meat particularly for us to understand how it's applicable to our understanding of the gospel today. And so just as oftentimes with Jesus preaching, he would give a parable, and in the public he would only share the parable. It was only afterwards he would invite the disciples to sit down with him and he would share some of the meaning of those parables. So I'm inviting you into my office to sit down and for us to um, more clearly see or what this understanding of the ages means for us in our personal lives, each one. And what we need to understand in something of this is, even as we're looking at the history of the Old Testament, many of it is like parables in history. It's God um, just interacting with man in certain places, and and, and the stories told, and that's a true story, unlike most of the parables of Jesus, which were made up stories. But it's a true story, but also it has parable meanings. There's, there's meanings that we can still draw from it today, uh, such as when you look at uh, the Passover lamb, the lamb that was killed and blood put on the door in Egypt. And, and if you had that blood on the door, when the angel of death passed over, then you were made safe. Or... Abraham offering up Isaac as sacrifice. We understand, oh, that's a picture of Jesus, the father offering up his son on the cross at Calvary. And so a number of these things that we see in these ages, they're uh, parables. uh, They have meanings for the whole age, as we said from the third generation. But as we look at the bigger picture, there's many applications for us that we can understand deeper spiritual truths from these things. And as we're discovering that... um, Uh, through the seven ages. It's like when we understand these seven distinct ages and the seven distinct themes that have been in those ages, and uh, there's some themes that uh, carry on for one or two or or three generations to be uh, properly fulfilled, or or others that are are just a promise at the beginning of the age, but by the end of the age are fully realized or, or mostly realized. And so as we have an understanding of those things, we can start to put things together a bit better. I can remember when I was an army cadet, we were uh, dismantling Bren guns and you had to know how to put it together. And I can still tell you it's piston, barrel, butt, body, bipod. (laughs) So when you're putting a Bren gun together, you've got all these bits together. Well, you pick up the piston first and then (laughs) you put in the barrel. Piston, barrel, butt, body, bipod. Bipod. That's that's the order, and when you've got that order, then you can put it all together, and you've got a brain gun that works. Similarly, when we understand the ages, and when we uh, when we look at the whole picture, we just just see the whole picture. But when we understand how each part of these ages has been the unfolding of God's plan of salvation, it gives us a deeper understanding of the purposes of God and an understanding of what God is doing in in this age and is this age draws to its conclusion. So I'd like to come now and have a look at what have we learned from this first age. And the, the, the first thing that we've seen is that in the creation story, everything that God made was good. But then introduced into this story is a problem, and the problem is sin. And what we see is in this age, this sin corrupts. It's like a picture of an apple, an apple that's bitten by a fruit fly. And so the fruit fly is bitten in this one spot. And my, my head's the apple, by the way, in this, this, this one spot. And so there's just one bad spot, but it just doesn't stay as that one bad spot. It, it, it spreads over all the apple and goes right into the very core of the apple until the whole apple is bad. And really, that's a picture of the first stage. Uh, at the beginning of the age, sin has been introduced through Adam and Eve. And then we see it most clearly, as we saw in the last session, with uh, Cain, where he kills Abel. And so this this, this sin, is this corruption has begun to grow. And what we'll see by the end of this age, this, this one bit of corruption has now grown and it's spread everywhere. And the whole apple is bad. The whole world is bad and corrupt. And so it's destroyed in the flood. Except, as we'll see... Um, in their next session, through one man, Noah, who is called righteous. And so we have this picture of this corruption of sin. that the, the picture of the whole age, that um, because death was introduced, it just permeates everything. And so right at the beginning of the story, we find that after Cain and Abel have sinned and God confronts them, then God provides clothes for them. What is it? It's the animal of skins so you're not taking the skin of an animal a pelt of an animal unless it's dead and so this is the first reference and then abel offers up a sacrifice and the sacrifice is an animal that is sacrificed so therefore an animal is dying and being offered as a sacrifice and as we saw um, in that tragic circumstance then abel gives up his own life and is dead and so death is interrupt, is, is, introduced into the, um, into the whole framework of life as we know it. There's life and there's death. And so this uh, continues throughout the whole age. Um, and at the end of the age, everyone is dying. And so we see this problem of death is there. And it's not really. Until Jesus rises from again, that, that we get the promise of life, that, that, as it were, the physical proof of life after death. There is a promise mentioned before then, but it's only through Jesus um, there's this, this promise of overcoming death. Because as Paul says in Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. And the whole first age is a preaching of that message. The wages of sin is death. It's a corruption that gets into everything. And its its inevitable result is death. The wages of sin is death. Um, and as Paul, when he starts to speak about the resurrection, speaks about uh, the, the greatness of what Jesus has done, but he says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a promise that death is defeated and will be defeated, not just in one person, the promise in Jesus, but in all who would trust in him. And at the end of this age we will see that come to fruition. Um, and then into the seventh age, um, and it's not to the end of the seventh age that Paul speaks of where he says the final enemy to be destroyed is death. Um, and... Uh, so what we see in, in Jesus rising again, there's there's a promise at the end of the age, there's the first resurrection, and all those who believed in Jesus when he comes again are rising, there, that's there. And then at the end of the seventh age, with the final judgment, the judgment before the white throne, then we have everyone being risen from the dead, and those whose name are not, names are not in the land's book of life go to eternal destruction, and all the rest go to eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. And so finally, finally when, when those last ones are the, are the second resurrection, all will come back to life again and only those whose names are in the book of life receive salvation, then death is finally and totally and completely overcome. But we see the beginning of it and the corruption of it and the gravity of it displayed in the first age. But what we also find in this first age. Is in the midst of this this unfolding of this terrible tragedy. We have a thread. We have a promise. We have God's heart, and he, once again, He's starting with just that small promise, and it's a promise of salvation. So let me read uh, Genesis chapter four, and verse twenty-five. This is after uh, this is after uh, Cain has killed Abel, and then uh, Cain's been judged. And uh, Adam and grieving, Adam and Eve were grieving for the loss of their son Abel. And it says, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and named him Seth, saying, "God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain, since Cain killed him." Seth also had a son, and named him Enosh. Uh, by the way, that that word Seth basically has God has turned his heart towards us. It's one of the Um, in Job uh, chapter 7 the the same Hebrew word is used and the word is what is man that you are mindful of him you are mindful of him is that same word that uh, comes from this word God has been mindful it's God's eyes upon us and and, and in this Seth and by the way then uh, it says his son is Enosh and then it follows all his line this Seth is a godly line as opposed to to Cain, who is now given over to sin. And so the book of Genesis records only two lineages from Adam. One is the line of Seth, the other is the line of Cain. And, Cain. and so we have these two, two lines. As it were, Seth, the line of promise, of salvation, and Cain, the inevitability and corruption of sin. But when we get to the end of the age all of Seth's line there's been godly ones in it Enoch who worked with God and there was was none. it's a godly line but at the end of the age all of Seth's line after many generations they've been corruption and the corruption is, is spread everywhere that rotten apple it's spread everywhere except for one one descendant of Seth his name Noah but that's in the next section so what we see it interwoven with this picture of the corruption of sin, is the promise of God, interwoven in this story, this this promise of salvation. It was said of uh, the snake, you, you you cursed above all animals, but it says of Eve, and, and then it speaks, and it's um, in Genesis chapter 3. This is a promise. This is God um, speaking to the serpent. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel that is often understood to be the first promise of the coming of jesus and salvation given to all mankind through the death of christ on the cross he the seed of woman shall strike you on the head he shall defeat you and, and and all the work of sin will be defeated but you will strike him on the heel which is normally seen to be a reference of jesus dying on the cross So in the midst of this first age, of this story and testimony of the inevitability of destruction and the corruption of sin, we have this thread of promise laid right there at the very beginning, the promise of God. There's there's one story unfolding through Cain and the inevitability and corruption of sin that eventually is going to lead lead to total destruction death of all mankind, except for one from the line of Seth. By the way, if you come into the New Testament, uh, Luke, in Luke chapter 3, he he gives to us the ancestry of Jesus. He says, Jesus was the son of Mary, supposedly the child of Joseph, but it's not. And then he follows a genealogy, and if you follow that genealogy and compare it to Matthew's genealogy, Matthew's genealogy follows, comes down through David and then Solomon and then all the kings, and eventually to Joseph, because Joseph was of the kingly line. So when Jesus was born as the firstborn of Joseph, he inherited the kingly line. But through Joseph, it wasn't a bloodline, (laughs) because Joseph had nothing to do um, with the physical birth of Jesus, but by adoption, he's of the bloodline of the kings. But if you follow through Luke's, Luke's genealogy, it's a completely different genealogy from Mary, who's also descended David all the way back to David, not through Solomon the kingly line, but through Nathan, another son of David through Bathsheba, and so and as you follow and Luke follows it through from from David from Mary all the way back to David all the way back to Noah and all the way back to Seth, and so this this line this. This thread of the promise of salvation is put right at the beginning. As we understand that that thread and the story here that sin is so corrupt, it, 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 it's just a corruption that continues to get into everything. Even when the people of um, Israel were coming into the promised land uh, with Moses, the Lord said, do, do, n- do not... Um make any covenants with the people of the land, do not let, allow them to live, because otherwise that their corruption of the worship of the eyes will, will corrupt you, and you will be led into corruption. This corruption of sin in the first age is seen to be all-pervading. But when we come into the sixth age, there's a different story. There's a new story that is started. Man was created on the sixth day. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says, Adam became a life-giving spirit, a living spirit. The second Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. There's a a new order that began at the beginning of the sixth age in, in, in the personal life and ministry, and then death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's that promise of victory over death. There's that promise of life forevermore, seen very clearly in the resurrection of Jesus. The promise is there. This at the end of this age, that that which is promise, then becomes a the reality. And Jesus spoke of this uh, of this kingdom principle in Matthew thirteen. Let me read it for you. Matthew thirteen uh, is uh, records a number of the parables of Jesus, and it comes uh, Matthew thirteen thirty one, and he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Little seed becomes a big tree that everything comes under. And he told them still another parable. So this is connected. I'm just reading the next verse, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. What we see here is Jesus. There's this kingdom principle. In the first age, this corruption of sin has corrupted everything. By the end of the age, the whole apple is rotten, and that's a story of sin um, and its corruptive powers. But Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, there's this new power that is being released, this kingdom power, and uh, in the Old Testament. The, the 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 picture of leaven was of sin, and so they had the feast of unleavened bread, where you took all the yeast out of the house, which is meant to be a time of cleansing, where as a people of God, remove anything, anything of the corruption of sin, let it be cut, be put outside of your life, so that you can be righteous before God. Well, Jesus is here using leaven in a different way. Now it's a leaven of righteousness, it's a leaven of the kingdom of God that spreads through everything until it becomes a prominent force. And this is what Jesus has released. I and mean, we see a very clear picture of this when the leper comes to Jesus. The leper is totally unclean, spiritually unclean. We know about social dis- distancing in the days of COVID-19. Well, in those days, social distancing with, with a leper, leprosy was very important. And the leper comes to Jesus. Jesus, would you heal me? Are you wi- Are you willing? Are you willing? And Jesus said, yes. I am willing. And what does Jesus do? He does something completely um, contrary, because normally if a leper touches you, he's unclean. When the leper touches you, you become unclean. But what does Jesus do? He reaches out and he touches the leper. And so it's not the corruption of a leper that overcomes the righteousness of Jesus or the sanctity of Jesus. Rather, it's a presence of God in the... In, and a spirit of God upon Jesus. And as he touches that leper, that leper becomes clean. So the first stage has this incredible message of the corruptness of sin. But we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ the incredible picture of the power of the gospel to overcome corruption and even death. Even death. Let me finish just by reading... For you, one Corinthians fifteen, verses fifty to fifty seven, and we'll f- finish our session this morning with that reading. This is where Paul is talking about the power of the resurrection, how it's it's fundamental to, to the preaching of the gospel and our understanding of the gospel. And so he says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Through Adam, we're in trouble, the corruption of sin is there. Let me read it again. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It says that's the natural rule of law. That's, that was a rule of law that we saw in the first age. Sin is corruption, and before long, everything is destroyed. But listen, he says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, for we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable, that's which we are now, must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where O death is your sting? Sorry, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he's given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful and overcoming power of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus, you rose from the dead. And so you have shown that you have completely destroyed the corruptible influence of sin over all who would put their faith in you. Thank you for that truth. May we come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of that truth each and every day through you, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you and God bless.